All right, and here we are. This is the A. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. And we're here to talk. We're here with the A. It's good to have you back, Norm. And uh, we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Welcome back, man. Yeah. How, yeah. How's your... Uh, and we also have, have a, a special, special guest. guest. Yeah. Uh, Robert Estes, how are you doing? I'm good. It's great to be here. Fantastic. So yeah, no, Robert's got a show coming up, so we're, mm-hmm. we'll spend some time talking about that. I have been on vacation. I went to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it, one of the horrible – my life always feels like it's got weird little kinks in it. People say, have you ever been to Chicago before? Well, technically, yes. Mm-hmm. I flew in. I got picked up. I got driven to Indianapolis. Uh-huh. But I've been to Chicago. Right. But this time I actually got to see the lake and spend some time, and I got to meet a bunch of in-laws. That was, Oh, and the best, the absolute best. I got to see lightning bugs. Absolutely. That's that's one thing I do remember from Chicago and from the East Coast because mm-hmm. I'm from the East Coast and all sorts of lightning bugs if you go like in the countryside in Maryland and they have that in Chicago, which surprised me. Well, well, they were surprised. They were like, oh, yeah, we don't really have as many as it used to be when we were kids. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I haven't seen one in decades. Maybe one when I went to a reunion a few years ago, maybe mm-hmm. I saw some. But that was – it was amazing because I got to meet all these in-laws. Yeah. Um, Got to connect to the family. Got to run around Chicago. Mm-hmm. The thing I knew would be true is I'm from the Midwest. I'm born in the Midwest. My skin, my lungs, my DNA loves that climate. Yeah. So as soon as we got off the plane, I knew I was going to be happy. And we'd go places, and I just felt it. Something that was just lifted in me. My, it felt mm-hmm. like my skin was breathing. It was it was a nice feeling. Yeah, I mean, Chicago, I mean, I because when I went there, I went there with a friend of mine. This is in 2007, and um, just the river that goes through it. And uh, if you in the downtown area, just fantastic. Uh, Robert Estes, have you been there before? I've been there. Mm-hmm. I've made a number of journeys to the sacred cathedral known as Wrigley Field. Ah, that's ah. right. Yeah. We went by it, and I didn't see it, and they were yelling like w- we were on the mm-hmm. train. And they're like, no, there, you have to look, you have to look. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. okay. I've, I've been in Wrigley Field. Uh, also, I forget where the, um, the, the White Sox play. Um, New Comiskey. Yeah, the, that's right, New Comiskey Park, yeah. So I've been in there as well. Well, nobody talked much about that. We were staying near Loyola University, mm-hmm. and we took bike rides along the lake up to Northwestern, mm-hmm. up past Northwestern, and then back. And then another day, we took the L up to, um, I don't even know the neighborhoods, up past that to see some cousins and my, my mother-in-law's, my mother-in-law's sister-in-law, I think, her mm-hmm. brother's um, wife, yeah. widow. Yeah. And so, and that side of the family. So we stayed with the other side of the family. We got to see that side of the family. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who I've known since she was three, Mallory, um, Erlene Samara's mm-hmm. daughter, um, who's now finished her first year at the Art Institute. Cool. So we actually hooked up and mm-hmm. took the L and went by the Art Institute. It was Very. it was neat. And then I immediately flew back. I flew back in Friday afternoon, SFO. We got our car, drove home. I picked up my other bag, went right back to Oakland, mm-hmm. and flew back out to go to my 40th high school reunion. Mm-hmm. In in Indiana, right? No, that no in Southern Cal. Oh, Southern Cal, Claremont, okay. California, uh-huh. home of the Claremont College. Nice, and not much else. <laughs> you enjoyed that one? Um, I enjoyed it, but I was worn out. The Chicago trip mm-hmm. just w- had worn me out. So I showed up. I tried to have a good time. I did have a good time, 
but I felt like every like there were a couple of brunches and things that I just had to skip. I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here quietly in my brother's house and yeah. drink some coffee and be o- and be okay right. and stop wishing that I was home. <laughs> it's the first time in my life I've ever been someplace and been like, God, I wish I was just at home laying in my bed. <laughs> yeah, vacations do that to me too, especially when I head home and I'm like, I mean, when I mean home to D.C. and I'm like, okay, this is great. Now I really want to be home, especially right. if you th- – there are things that, that I'm particular about, like showers and making sure that, you know, that I'm in the bed. Well, the sound, the lights, stuff, everything. Yeah. It's just – so the only theater thing that we did um, mm-hmm. was – and Mara had asked, do you want to go see a show? And I'm like, I don't want to go see a show in Chicago. Why do I care about that? And then I went, wait a minute, Second City. There you so go. So we went and we saw the Second City All-Stars. Uh-huh. And that was kind of cool. It was kind of cool to be sitting there and know this is the place where – and the pictures of every star, you know, all the Second City cr- – I mean, uh, the Saturday Night Live crew, all the people who yeah. gone on. Yeah. Um, you know, that was impressive. That was that was fun. That's awesome. So we have Robert Estes here. You are the director of Tinder Napalm. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. It's um, opening a week. We're recording on July 7th, so we open mm-hmm. next week on Friday, mm-hmm. July 14th. You're right. We run Friday and Saturdays um, from July 14th to August 5th, so eight performances, all at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. We're, we're performing in, in basically a dance studio, Temescal Arts Center. It's on a 511 48th Street, right at the Temescal District of Oakland. Mm-hmm. Just off of Telegraph. Right Just on. off Telegraph, yeah, mm-hmm. half block, a half short block off Telegraph. There's a lot of great restaurants to hang out before, and... Um, the venue is just a real funky venue, to be honest. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, one thing they allow audiences to come in. Many dance studios do not allow audiences, or you have to take your shoes off, or right. all kinds of things. They're trying to develop a public. They're trying to develop an audience for all different kind of shows there. They have people coming in all the time doing different things. They have movie nights. Mm-hmm. They have all kinds of yoga classes, dance classes. And I really enjoy working with the people there. And uh, when this play, I read it years ago, and it's a theater play, but I immediately, to me, realized there's no venue I could afford to put this play on the standard venues, the Berkeley City Club, or mm-hmm. what used to be Impact, or Shotgun Studios, or anything that's in my ballpark of renting. Sure. This is a big, intense movement piece. Mm-hmm. And also, I, didn't w- I wanted to be a little more funky, a little more thrown together, because a play is a strange play. Mm-hmm. And so when I walked into Timbisca Arts Center, I said, this is a play... And then luckily I met a great choreographer, Bridget Lorio, and mm-hmm. this play this play is super choreographed. It's it's really like an athletic event and an acting event. Two characters, man, woman, and they're on stage together for the entire time. Mm-hmm. There's no intermission. It's an hour and 45 minutes, and it's an intense battle of the sexes. It's an intense study of life, of love, of loss. It's about children, raising children. It's about losing children. It's painful. Mm-hmm. Um, it has violent language. It's NC-17 language. If you don't want to hear intense language, you're going to hear mm-hmm. even right. basically pornographic yeah. language <laughs> at times. Um, that's what it is. Don't Sounds come. like it keeps it real. That's that's no problem at all. It's it's real, and it's fantastical at the same time. Yeah. It sounds like experimental theater. Is it experimental theater? Um, I'm just trying to picture it in my mind. Yeah. I mean, well, the f- playwright's English playwright, Philip Ridley, and he became known as this playwright of in-your-face theater. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's experimental in that it tells the story all through mythology and all through allusion to mm. these crazy dreams that people have and these crazy experiences. So it's very experimental language, mm-hmm. and it's experimental in form and how it tells the story. So, you know, all these 
if it's experimental, if it's avant-garde, I don't know. But he's he sort of began the in-your-face movement in England where there's Sarah Kane was maybe the most famous playwright who went from that and developed it to extremes. Mm-hmm. And later this year, Shotgun's going to do um, the Sarah Kane uh, play. So mm-hmm. it's kind of fun that we're doing this. But um, this play, Tender Napalm, and we're a small little company, and we've just started. It's our sixth production. Mm-hmm. But I'm very proud because this is the Bay Area premiere of this play. We should s- we should talk a little bit more about Anton's Well as well. Yeah, at my my company is the called company. yeah. It's called Anton's Well Theater Company. Anton's is named after Anton Chekhov. He's my favorite playwright. Oh, awesome, yeah. Someone I grew up loving, and he had this idea. He was a very practical man, and for Americans. We think of Anton Chekhov as a playwright of these depressing plays, mm-hmm. and and you know people say why don't they just go to Moscow or yeah, right? <laughs> and um, but he was not a depressive person at all. He was an amazing person. He was a doctor. He treated thousands of patients. He set up clinics throughout Russia, mm-hmm. many, many, many of them for free. I mean, he was a one-man healthcare system. It was yeah. an r- amazing story, and he was completely vibrant. Mm-hmm. Um, he set up libraries in the country, and so. He had this idea, and he said, one, being this very practical person, that he said one time that he thought that every human being should leave something behind when they go. Mm-hmm. And he said, and it wasn't like, you know, some grandiose thing. He said, you know, it would be great if you just left behind a water well. Hmm. And I thought it was so neat because what do humans need? They need fresh water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought Anton's Well Theater Company. We're trying to leave something behind, trying to create something of value to people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's been really nice. We started in 2014. And again, it's our sixth production, and we're just kind of slowly building a company. That's fantastic. And y- are you the founder? Would you would you yeah. call yourself the founder? Fantastic. Yeah, yeah we uh, we've bumped into. Um, I think we've had a couple of founders, and we've talked about how theater companies they build up. We've seen a lot of theater companies flounder. You know, they and they have this great energy, and then for whatever reason, because of publicity or or other things, let's say you need to have other people also with the same energy that you do. Well, and I, th- I think it's a natural process. Mm-hmm. I think there's a way where when the energy is there, it's going to grow. The thing is going to grow and it's going to flourish to whatever extent it does. And then at a certain point, you have to make those choices about how do you go on, how do you continue. Right. And sometimes people choose not to. And I think we both talked about theater companies where, you know, groups that are just dynamic and they're innovative and they're interesting – and then it, they hit that point. And the example I often cite is Z-Space because it started off as a Z-Collective. And it was a group of actors, and they kept putting together shows. As soon as they got to the point where they were, like, there was an audience expecting, looking for what they were going to do next, their actors started peeling off and doing other things. And at that point, they asked themselves, how do we want to do this? And somebody made the suggestion that they become a col- that they become the Z space because they had access to space and that all the artists were welcome to collaborate and to develop and do whatever they wanted to that and the Z space continues you know the Z space has gone on from that but that initial energy was just people trying to put on shows yeah and you know there's some actors they want to be a part of a collective and then there's some actors hey I just want to be a hired gun mm-hmm. go in do my thing and then z- zip out I'm sure you've ran into both both types. Well, so far it's been a little bit m- not so much on act. Well, I haven't. It's been more kind of on finding people to be part of the production and be part of the publicity, sure. and and to find people who say, okay, you know, I'll help you on this specific 
discrete project of this. And the other people are like, no, no, this is great. I really like what you're doing here. I'd like to be a publicity person. I'd like to be associate producer. Mm -hmm. I'd like to be, you know, um, your managing director. Right. And so with the actors, I haven't quite got to the place. You know, so many companies that are a little a level above as far as budget and, and, and whatever status, mm -hmm. they'll have like, you know, they'll say associate artists or company right. members. And I don't really have company members yet. It's something we may figure out as we go forward. But it's been definitely nice to feel that I put some energy out there. I threw the pebble out. Mm -hmm. And then someone else said, well, I'll throw a pebble with you. And Fantastic. Uh, and That's good. Yeah. yeah. So we're trying to just build um, a community of people. It's been fun to meet Norman because I just wanted to talk to him, learn about his experiences, and hopefully we will do a project together yeah, that I we have in I'm mind mm -hmm. yeah. You know, <laughs> next year. Cool. And we're very excited about that. But I'd love to the Anton's Will to become to open up to people. It's been my show kind of because in mm -hmm. a sense great, and I've loved putting on the plays we put on. But I really envision it being like, okay, let's get a little bit bigger. Let's bring other people in. Sure. What play do you want to do? What play do you want to be in? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. let's make those things happen. And every actor wants a home. I mean, you know, right. a place where you can. Hey, you know, there's a new company out. They need actors. I'm, I I want to work, and boom, you know, you just jump it's, right in. It's a it's a very fluid field, mm -hmm. and it's funny because I'm so I've got um, I'll be leading this workshop, this intensive uh, at the Eugene O'Neill. It's the Eugene O'Neill. Well, it's the Dow House is where we'll be doing it. It's run by the Eugene O'Neill. What is it? Eugene O'Neill something Foundation, mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, You know, and trying to put together all the elements of that, it's sort of, it's been sort of weird. <laughs> yeah, everyone's um, not on the same page. Well, and that happens often. Yeah, so you've got a project, and there's always that person who's got that vision, mm -hmm. and you want to follow their vision, mm -hmm. but then they've got to get the buy-in of everybody else. Right. So there was something you had mentioned where um, we talked about publicity. How do you get people in? That's right. one of the major questions that yeah. every producer is asking. Yeah, I put it out on Facebook because I wanted to see just how many people listened to the yay mm -hmm. and if they had any questions. And Jennifer Daly did have a question about publicity. Jennifer Daly, I should say, full disclosure, is an ex-member ex of EastEnders, EastEnders Repertory Company. Mm -hmm. And there are a bunch of posters that I have on my wall of shows that we've done. That was We were a company that had a lot of energy. But unfortunately, you know, after several years, it right. sort of just petered out. Mm -hmm. um, money was a problem. Right. Uh, individuals um, having the energy, but after so many years, just being sort of worn down mm -hmm. by always building sets and always trying to do publicity and a lot of times trying to do things that we don't know how to do. In any case, she, uh, here's a question that she has. I haven't – I. Ha she talks about listening to the yay um, – so, so here's a question. Uh, I think I've gone to difficult moments in audience development. I'm reading off of my phone, and I think it's a problem. Publicity, she's talking about the difficulties of marketing and audience development. I think it's a problem that all companies of all sizes have to deal with, and the challenges seem to be morphing as print media dies. Mm -hmm. How does one market effectively via social media and email when everyone is suffering from information overload? Over, overload. Well, and it's funny. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, because of the Eugene O'Neill thing, at one point we're going to take the kids to a matinee. So I, I just went to TV. I figured that would be the easiest resource. Theater Bay Area. Mm -hmm. If anybody doesn't know Theater Bay Area, you should know. Right. It is a wonderful resource in the Bay mm -hmm. Area. 
for a lot of things that's going on in theater. Not all things, but a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking through different shows. Well, one of the names that comes up is a young man I know who's a playwright, Bennett Fisher. And uh, we actually worked together and as teaching artists a few years ago. He's gone on. I think he's got his MFA now, and he's getting a lot of attention, not just around here, but he signed up for the uh, Bay Area. He submitted to the Bay Area Playwrights Festival. His piece got picked. So this summer, he's going to be here with his piece. And I was like, but that's a script in hand. Otherwise, I'd take my kid to see it because my mm-hmm. kids, my students, oh, I would sure. take them to see it. Yeah. I'm looking at all these shows that are going up and trying to figure out what I can do. And I'm also I'm starting to get feedback that I need to stay within an appropriate framework of what I'm taking them to. Which to me is a bit bewildering. I, I said a little about this before Meaning we got on mic. Meaning an appropriate piece, something that's well, I don't know, PG they're worried or what parents are going to think, and oh, I'm like, okay, okay, these are high school students in theater. Yeah, they're exposed to everything. Like all of them are probably singing Hamilton right now. Yeah, um, at least one school that we went to just did Urine Town. Yeah, um, they are way on the whatever the forward edge of theater is, at least as defined by Broadway. Right. These kids are on it. Yeah. And you're going to tell me that this little play, because the play I picked to take him to was La Caja Folk. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, maybe 20 years ago or when the movie first came out, when the French movie first came out, maybe that was a little bit of, (gasps) you know, Mm -hmm. a gay, an old gay couple whose adult son wants to bring his fiance home, wants them to meet the fiance's family who are conservative. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, it's like most musicals it's a comedy and that's where the comedy comes in these out gay people have suddenly got to try to figure out how to pull it in to deal with these conservative oh parents. they're going to act straight or something like that I, 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 they're going to try and not put yeah. it in anybody's face because right. this is way before gay marriage or anything yeah so this was if two men at that point decided to live together no matter how open they were about it, there was yeah. no framework. There was no social structure mm-hmm. to allow them to do that. So they were sort of defining it on their own. And that means that most people were actually not aware of what they were doing. Most people did not realize. You mm-hmm. know, you, on the face of it, you just don't – unless somebody is doing all kinds of things that just scream gay. <laughs> right. You just make assumptions that they're not yeah. that way. And that's when it comes from. That's where the play comes from. It sure. was a movie originally. Yeah. And then it was turned into a stupid American movie called The Birdcage. And then that was translated into a musical. Mm-hmm. And so this is an American musical where this couple has to – and they do. There's a wonderful – I saw the original movie. There's a wonderful moment where the French guy is trying to butch up, so he's mm-hmm. pretending that he's John Wayne. It's hilarious. There yeah. are all kinds – so I'm like, wait a minute. So you're worried that your kids, your kids who are in theater, so we're seeing wonderful stories about, you know, all, all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, you know, Cal Shakes is doing the Glass Menagerie right now. Mm-hmm. Disabled woman and the way her kind of closeted brother messes her over. Right, that's right. Um, you know, there are all these plays, and I'm mm-hmm. like, um, you think this is somehow going to be harder on your kids than this other stuff really it's, it's one of the problems well i guess when you deal with parents and kids because you want your kids to be exposed to art because you want them to be enlivened and and, and be open to an open world acculturated cultural yeah. Yeah. but you know you can't put the brakes on that i mean you you can't you can't have it both ways where right. you want to shelter your kids because right. you're worried about what they're going to be exposed to and and expose them you just have right. to let go. You know what I mean? Well, and the other shows that are out there right now are an Octoroon, which mm-hmm. 
is doing very well, apparently. We couldn't get a full set of tickets for all our students. But I'm like, wait a minute. So this is a rewrite of a old, like, minstrel show mm -hmm. melodrama <laughs> about no. slavery. Yeah. It, it um, can't be all the parents. It's got to be maybe a few parents. So you're okay you know. with – because I'd actually be okay with taking the kids to that. That would make me happy. This is a modern take on it. This is a 21st century take on this. Mm. I'd be excited to see what's going on with that. Yeah. But no, I, I'm like, okay, so we're not going to go see La Cage de Faux. We're probably not going to go see what La Cage de Faux. What a shame. But it, it, yeah. as I'm going through all the publicity stuff, I'm yeah. like, oh, my gosh. I wish when I was producing TBA, TBA did what they could, but they were a monthly magazine. Yeah. Speaking of TBA, we're going to have Dale Murphy next week. Oh, that's right. Dale Albright. Um, Dale Albright. Shame on me. Dale Murphy, he's a baseball player, right? Yeah. Duh. Oh, I've been baseball before, so. Freudian slip, yeah. Dale Albright, uh, who is the uh, president of, of TBA, he'll be on uh, next week, so that'll be exciting. And Ridge is wearing an A shirt, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm a baseball kind of on fan. His mind. <laughs> yeah, uh, but when you talk about publicity, I mean, if you have any ideas about this, jump in, but that was different back then when they were just putting out a monthly and that's all they could do for you. Now there's this website, and it's frustrating. Mm hmm. Because I went on it. I don't know the website. I don't know how to surf it. Yeah. And I – so there was a um, – you know, when you have forward and back buttons, there's sure. a double. There will yeah. be a double arrow. Yeah. So I'm like, well, let me do the double arrow forward. It took me to 2020. There's a theater company that has shows listed till 2020. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's so then I had to go back to the beginning. Yeah. And I realized I'm just looking for something within the next two weeks. Yeah. So then I just kept forward buttoning until I got to those dates yeah. of those shows. But every day yeah. lists what plays are playing that day that TVA has. Yeah. I'm like, this is this is way better than it used to be. Yeah. And nobody is mm -hmm. looking at that unless they're like me, desperately looking for a show to go to. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to get your publicity, yeah, you should be listed there. You can send people there, and then they do the little highlights, the TBA, whatever, sh pick of the week. Um, but that's still, it's not information that is landing in people's laps. Right. People still have to go looking for it. Yeah, I mean, do you find, do you find that it's an alchemy? I mean, do you find that it's, um, how, do you, how do you handle publicity? I mean, it's, I'm sure no one really has really figured, figured it out. I mean, there are TV stations that haven't right. figured it well, out. Well, what's your style of it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, me... You know, I'd like to some say something very helpful, but <laughs> I do, first of all, I do publicity that just the easiest. I mean, it's easy to run a 5 or $10 ad or $20 ad on Facebook, and mm -hmm. there's a certain vanity appeal that, you know, I have a lot of friends in the theater community on Facebook, and people can see what you're doing, and, pe you know, I'll get a lot of likes. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, we did Age of the Moon, Sam Shepard, last December, and, you know, I'd post some nice little thing about it and, you know, get 110 likes. Sure. But out of those 110 likes, how many people went to the box office? Yeah. A very small percentage. So there's just, you know, just yeah. all the things people are saying are so true. I mean, email's more difficult because Gmail now categorizes email as promotion. And they'll right. if, you, if you throw out a mass email, a lot of them go to promotion, which a lot of people don't look at. Mm -hmm. There's uh, uh, So I just – but all I can do is just keep throwing out the pebbles that I can afford to throw out. Sure. And, and then sometimes I get unusual – not always so much audience, a huge audience members, but I get very committed audience people or people who love mm -hmm. Sam Shepard or get, mm -hmm. you know, people who travel because they want to see a Sam Shepard show they've never seen before. So the publicity so far for me hasn't led to great audiences, but it's led to some really cool 
yeah. interacted with people. Well, um, well go ahead. I was going to say, I'll, uh, I actually had a question and a comment because sometimes having, it's almost like quantity versus quality. If you have a core group of people who just love what you do and they come each and every time, they're like, oh, so-and-so, you know, Estes is doing a play. Mm -hmm. I want to go to that play. Sometimes that has a great value, even though there's not a lot of folks. So I wonder which, is, you know, of course people want big, big, big crowds. Well, I'm wondering if there are better ways to use Facebook. For instance, mm -hmm. like I, if I didn't say it to you, I meant to say it to you. No, anything I see posted, I'm going to repost because I'm like, no, this is a project I want to support. So I don't. I did it, and it's funny. Politically, I did it with Standing Rock mm -hmm. when the whole you know Dakota Access Pipeline thing was that, going on. That's right. I remember that. I looked every day, and I would sift through. I didn't yeah. just grab the first thing I saw and post. I would actually sift yeah. through, and occasionally I would I go the actress and find who was, There was an actress who got arrested at Standing Rock. Uh, she is the um, some, some famous uh, f uh, film actress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I Anything I could pop up that either seemed like it was something that people would make people think or would catch their attention, like a celebrity moment or some weird overreaction by the political forces and police force. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure it was getting out there. And to me, that's the thing on Facebook – there's stuff like that where I'm not going to look at it, but if I know I want to see what you're posting, then I'm like, oh, okay, let me stop and look at that. Or And it doesn't bother me, that whole spam, you know, this idea that we're getting a lot of junk now. No. Okay, so I read your thing already, so now it's the next day. I'm just going to repost it anyway, mm -hmm. and I'm going to like it, and I'm going to repost it because – I want to support it, and I want, until you're done, I want people to get up and go see it. Yeah. And when I finally get that chance to go see it myself, then I want to go, hey. Yeah. And you and I, Norman, we've been talking about how the theater community has to be a community where we support each other. Mm -hmm. And we've been talking about it mainly sort of offline, you know, like people getting together, like actors getting together. You know, you had talked about um, uh, Chekhov. During that time uh, in, in Russia, you had Chekhov, but you also had um, Stanislavski. Right. And the whole idea that the theater community is a community and you grow together and right. you care together and love together and, and you create something that's real on stage. It also has to happen online. You yeah. know, if someone is promoting something via Facebook, I'm going to like it and also promote it as well. Right. And, you know, if we – it's a hard thing. It's almost like chopping, uh, you know, a, a tree. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's, right. if you're a young theater company, it's going to take a while to – Right. You're not going to knock it out in one swipe. You're right, exactly. You have to just keep whacking on whacking, 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 whacking away until you, you know, hopefully build a following. So but I'd I think be curious to know if people have other ideas about how this works now, what's more targeted. There's um, there's a young lady I know, young lady. She's younger than me, mm -hmm. um, that I know who does promotions out of Hollywood, and I generally ignore her stuff until I get in a project, and suddenly I'm like, oh wait, will she promote my stuff? Is it just Hollywood she's promoting? And suddenly I go and I read her page to try and see if that's something I can use. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just silly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the theater companies. I think a few years ago, theater companies were like, oh, we have our audience, and we we got to be careful of our audience. And I think now theater companies are more like, oh, okay, we'll put a promo code in our email promoting our show for another show. Right. Mm -hmm. If you put a promo code in, you know, your, you know, there's uh, reciprocatory, reciprocation yeah. between theater companies. I think more now because they're realizing, oh, well, Cutting Ball could say something about Aurora, Aurora. Right. I'm not. 
right. you know, and different things like that. Theater so first. I, theater first is doing it. Yeah. Um, I, and I was pushing for that with Oakland Public Theater a long time ago. Yeah. I said, you know, once you walk into my theater to see my show, I got your money. And I won't be in a doing another show again for months, <laughs> at <Yeah>. least. <laughs> so I'm not going to benefit by trying to hold on to you like you're my audience. But if I say, well, Robert's doing a show, and they're doing a show over here, and these people are doing a show, right now, those folks who came and had a good experience from me might read my program and go, oh, well, what else is going on? Maybe yeah. I should check out one of these other things. I have to, yeah, uh, Theater First is very nice because they set up a program where in their pre-show introduction to the audience saying the exits are here and so forth, Right. they let me come in and other people, they had a sign-up list, and, mm -hmm. and so they went through the usual introduction to the audience about, you know, the necessary details. Right. But they gave me, you know, a little time to say, hey, I'm Robert, I'm from Anton's Well. I have this play, Tender Napalm, we're going to be opening here, mm -hmm. and it's about this, that, and the other, and thank you so much. And it was really cool, you know, to reach out, and they had a really great show, Kayla, mm -hmm. and it, you know, there was like 130 people there, and it felt kind of fun to be like, That's hey, awesome. I'm throwing a pebble out, and thank you, Theater First. Yeah. I did have a question. Is there a lot of hoarding going on as far as, like, mailing lists and emailing lists? There used to be. I don't know. And not everybody does. Mm -hmm. I know when I was producing more, I would ask people, and some people just give you their list. Oh, cool. Some people I don't. don't. I don't know where it hurt. You know, that some are do get a little covetous as far as, well, no. Well, we, it's we tricky because, you know, like anybody, you owe the people who have given you their contact information, you owe it to them to not just splatter it all, all over the world. But you also owe it to them to say, wow, you, we might be like-minded. I want to tell you about something else that I think I appreciate that I think you might appreciate. Yeah, isn't it a shame? I'm thinking about current events, Black China and Rob Kardashian. You know, there's so folks who master publicity, mm -hmm. but they're producing really nothing at all, <laughs> and folks who really have something substantial, and they have a hard, the hardest time in the world getting their stuff out there. It's it's a cruel irony. I, I feel bad because I I actually looked up Jay Z's four four four. Oh, that's so right. Yeah. I wanted to know what it was about. Yeah. So I looked it up, and the explanation I got was not very satisfying. <laughs> and I'm afraid that it's not my style of music, so I'm not just going to go just listen to some of it mm -hmm. just cause. And what I did notice, though, is that in order to get to the answer I wanted, which is what is that title about, Right. I had to sift through all of this stuff that really yeah. falls in the category of Which publicity. marketing, yeah, exactly. He got you to do, or the companies that support him or are, I guess, are using, you know, Jay-Z is using companies and companies are using Jay-Z. Um, well, they're doing all the smart stuff. Let's talk about the twins. Let's talk about her last album. Let's... So by the mm -hmm. time you get to the answer, yeah. you have gone through all this other consumer right. stuff to get there. Right. And unfortunately, that's the music industry right now. It's not enough to just mm -hmm. cut a good album right. and put it out on the radio station. Now you have to jump through all these hoops to get a bunch of people to, to pay attention to you. Well, I feel like theater companies are starting to do it now. When I see the, these are the people in my show, mm -hmm. I actually end up liking those. I'm like, oh, cool. I don't even know if I care about your show or I want to see it. Mm -hmm. But I love that you are promoting the people who are involved in making your show happen. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's substantial, and also I think it's, you know, we try to make it catchy as well. I mean, we talk about yeah. current events and, and other things. So, But it's it's kind of like I, I remember uh, going to uh, camping. This is a long time ago, and we were trying to build a fire. 
And it reminds me a lot about that. Publicity is a lot about, you know, you try to you work at kindling, it. and even when you start it, you have to keep on feeding it and feeding it, and all of a sudden, boom, it's just there. You, you got to get that spark, and then you got to nurse it, and yeah. you got to keep it going. And, otherwise, and if you're lucky, it'll go off on its own. But yeah, otherwise, you're dead. How long, uh, Robert S. says, how long have you um, been in, uh, Norman and I, we've talked about our origins of getting into theater when, when the theater bug bit us. Mm-hmm. What about your story? Uh, mine's a little different, I think, from a lot of stories because I only got into theater when I was 43, okay. so a little bit later in life. I loved theater before that. I used to love to go to shows. In fact, I probably saw more shows before I got in theater because once you get in, of course, rehearsal, 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 right. reading plays. Right doing, you know, organizational meetings. Um, but I got one at 43, which is about 15 years ago. And when I first got in, I had experience doing research, and I was a dramaturg. Mm-hmm. And I, I had no idea of being a director. I really didn't. I, I was thrilled just to be behind in the rehearsal hall and to contribute something. And I worked on kind of classic plays. Um, I did some work at California Shakespeare Theater and did some dramaturgy there. Mm-hmm. And it was just so exciting to, you know, provide some context and, and provide – some background on these great shows they were doing, like Arms of the Man. That was a really favorite show I worked on. And um, a few years after I got into theater, I started to feel like, I started, it was the thing where you're kind of having this inside feeling like, you know, I could, sure, we could direct a little 10-minute play. That'd be fun. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. just very Mm -hmm. basic. And L. Peter Callender called me up one day, and he said, I'm going to change your life. And he got me a little directing gig of a 20-minute news play about baseball. It was because (laughs) they needed somebody who knew a lot about baseball. And um, and so it kind of met my in- my inner feeling was matched by something outside me, and then after that I just started directing a ton of ten minute plays, twenty minute plays. I started directing stage readings of full length, of new full length plays of classic Shakespeare. I dr- I've directed like ten or twelve um, uh, full length um, stage reading of Shakespeare plays for a subtraining Shakespeare, which was a great mm-hmm. experience. And I really took it super serious, you know, really cast as if I was casting for a main stage production and. Mm-hmm. We couldn't rehearse too much, you know, and we had to do it together. But it was still really fun and t- to do it. And we used a space that was very flexible, so it was a really good way to learn about how to maneuver with huge casts and make a space work. Mm-hmm. And then because I was at Subtraining Shakespeare, Stan Spanger, a wonderful local actor, mm-hmm. got me to go over to Actors Ensemble Berkeley, and they gave me a full production, Curse of Starving Class, in 2010. Sam Shepard. And that's Sam Shepard. And I grew up with Sam Shepard in the Bay Area when I was a theater goer. Mm-hmm. I went to the original world premiere of True West. It was basically the first oh show I ever saw. Nice. So that had a great connection. And then there I followed that up with Heartbreak House, Arcadia, Rock and Roll, mm-hmm. a play I put together called Falstaff. And it was really great to work with that company. I'm still a board member there. But then in 2014, I did um, Old Times by Harold Pinter, and that mm-hmm. started my company. Mm-hmm. And it's just been a great journey, and as I've gone through it, I've just tried to work as anywhere I can, as much as I can, and mm-hmm. it's been a 15-year odyssey. Mm-hmm. It's and it's funny because we—I feel like our conversation hasn't been going on that long, but um, I get the sense that there's a certain um, there seems to be an intellectual thread that goes through this place. There's a lot of this stuff going on. There's a definite, beautiful, dramatic tension that you look for, but you also seem to be drawn to those plays that have a certain, I don't know, smartness. <laughs> yeah, I, well, uh, the plays, Old Times is a mysterious play. It's about people who are middle-aged. It's about looking back in your past. It's 
is about not quite knowing how you got somewhere. You're not quite remembering how everything turned out. Mm. I mean, it's Harold Penner, of course, and and so mm. it was. It was a really great play to do when you're in your mid fifties, starting a theater company. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a play, Dying City. Again, that's two. That's three. There's three characters in the play, but only two actors. One actor doubles as twin brother. Mm-hmm. But it's again a play. It's about what happened in Iraq. How does it relate to now? So again, that play is again old times because it's, it's saying what happened back in Iraq, what happened back in your marriage, right? And it's a mystery puzzle play. The audience c- needs to follow along. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a play, um, What Rhymes with America, which is a modern comedy, yeah, right. Felicia James Gibson, and that was a play that had four characters. But again, it's sort of it's a sad comedy. Um, it's heart wrenching, but it's very beautiful in its own way. Mm-hmm. And again, it's about time. And it's about kind of frustrated hope. It's about a father and his relationship to his daughter, very troubled relationship to his daughter. Mm-hmm. And it's about a woman who has a hard time connecting to men. Mm-hmm. And so the whole life history of the characters is put on stage in a very dramatically um, tight way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think the plays definitely do have a similarity. Uh, there's something about time. There's mm-hmm. something about lived life. There's something about dealing with a lot of experience. And there's great language. I mean, to me, the great thing that I look for is language to me is like speed in the NFL yeah unfortunately you can be great in a lot of ways in the NFL but if you can't run a 4-6 you're not playing Mm -hmm. corner 4-4 whatever you're not playing you're not going to play cornerback and uh, you know play can have like a great plot or great theme or you know try to make a great point but if the language is really boring (laughs) it's really tough to make it a good play Mm -hmm. yeah rhythm you know we've had a couple of playwrights come on um like um Scott Munson and Christine Urin and uh, Jeannie Baroga. And we talk about rhythm. And Sam Shepard, you know, he's one. And also um, Pinter. Uh, Pinter is one who has uh, great rhythm. And I'm trying to think of, I always, David Mamet. Um, fan. We, we keep referencing We keep on referencing. Yeah, yeah he, he's, he's a bit of a uh, mental crutch. Uh, crutch. But, you know, I just love Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and a bunch of the other stuff that he's done. But you have this wonderful rhythm, and I've, and I've asked the playwrights about what do you do with rhythm, and, you know, they've pretty much all said we listen to different people. We just go around and just listen to different stories and sometimes how people talk and what motivates uh, people. Um, do, you, do you find that when you look for work, or do you use that as a dramaturg? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I <laughs> it's... I lived alone for a long period of my life, mm-hmm. and I would eat in restaurants alone and just be alone. And I mean, the word alone seems harsh, and sometimes, yeah, I was lonely, but sometimes I, I really enjoyed just being by myself. Yeah, but I one thing I noticed, yeah. you know, being alone for so much of my life, you really realize how, how other people use language, because mm-hmm. you're not always talking to someone else, you're kind of taking in the words other people say. Mm. And I, I think, like, before I got into theater, I did have this experience of listening to people, of, of being the guy who was more quiet because he was alone. And it's always interesting to me how often people talk in monologue or how, how people yeah. don't connect when they talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's I l- exactly right. I love the plays. These plays that I've mentioned, how, you know, what, what Rhymes with America, Old Time, mm-hmm. Dying City, these are all plays about how language doesn't quite connect. At the same time, the language is somehow gorgeous. The language is beautiful. The language is poetic. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, and that's Chekhov. See, again, that goes back to Chekhov. He's kind of the 
the playwright who began this thing about how people don't connect with words. Right. Yeah. It also reminds me a bit of Ibsen, uh, Henrik Ibsen, uh, I think of The Doll's House, where Nora is trying to communicate to her husband or even communicate to mm. herself. And he's not listening, yeah. Right, exactly, and he's not listening until, of course, the very end when mm -hmm. she's out the door. When it's too late to listen, <laughs> right. you listen. <laughs> exactly, that's exactly right. Um, do you do any writing at all? I mean, uh, one thing that's fascinating uh, about you is that you got sort of got into theater very late. I mean, uh, it's almost like this is a second coming for you or a um, a, uh, a new, a, a new, a new birth. A, a new birth, yeah. 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 I mean, uh, do, you, do you look at it that way? Uh, as a new birth? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was so unhappy in January of 2003, you know, just – I was working as a paralegal. I'd been working as a paralegal for 20 years. Paralegal here. Yeah, I'd mm -hmm. been doing the 100-hour weeks. I'd been doing, I mean, making good money and, you know, enjoying life as far as being able to afford dinners or, afford yeah. you know, whatever. Um, but just feeling so frustrated. And in January, right the first, you know, one of that, that period when you have your resolutions. And, mm -hmm. right. and I said, I and a friend, of, again, a thing where you know you have to change your life, and a friend six months before, I said, well, Robert, you love theater so much, why don't you get into theater? And I'm like, you know, as an outsider, you think, oh, these theater people are so fantastic, and mm -hmm. and you have to have a, you know, master's, or you have to get, you know, mm -hmm. y you know, you have all those stupid reasons you give yourself to not let yourself do something. Mm -hmm. And, but, you know, again, I, I've been talking tonight about the pebbles, that pebble that Susan Chua put in me when she mm -hmm. said that, you know, six months later, it becomes something like, yeah, why don't, I mean, this is silly, just get in. I mean, mm. and then once and once you get in, the first director I worked for, Lillian Grogue, I mean, she was like, she and she's still directing, mm -hmm. um, but she's European and South American, so she's this super cultured person, just so much more, in a way, naturally cultured than I could be as an American almost. Mm -hmm. And she's so whip smart that I was completely in awe. She's like, wow, this is a director. Right. You know, and, and, and I loved working with her. I loved seeing how she did things. But then, you know, you move on. You start being like, oh, well, this is a good director, but, you know, mm -hmm. you can talk to, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you, and you get right. used to the world. And it sounds like you learn your technique, your directing techniques, like blocking and all that stuff. Did you learn that from her? Is that? I learned vocal. See, different directors have different things, but she's also opera director. So her thing is she could give a note on every line an actor said because she can minutely say, well, you didn't carry the energy of the line to the end, mm -hmm. or you didn't emphasize, you know, this word was maybe the word mm -hmm. to emphasize. And I mean, not in n not in a crude way. Like, I mean, the actor can say it very well, but she has such a great ear. Mm -hmm. But And we're working on a classic play like Shaw, where the language is music. Mm -hmm. Her yeah. being an opera director, she could bring out the music of the, of the script. And then other directors, Jonathan Moscone, I watched him in rehearsal, and he's very much a visual director. He's fantastic about placing actors on the stage mm -hmm. using a space and yeah learn blocking you know start to learn blocking from him mm -hmm. um, and so yeah I learned by being <laughs> like assistant dramaturg mm -hmm. or whatever second assistant I didn't care yeah. that was the thing with me the one great advantage of being 43 and getting in theater and just wanting to be in is like I had it I'm not 22 I haven't spent or 25 or 28 I haven't spent a hundred thousand dollars or I haven't put my whole life on mm -hmm going to theater school or whatever. Right. I don't have I d the lack of ambition helped me in a way yeah. because it didn't matter to me. I just wanted to be once I got the first day I went to rehearsal, I was like, this is where I want to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I didn't care that I was the last person at the table or the last person to talk or I didn't talk at all. Mm -hmm. That's that didn't matter at all. All that mattered to me was I'm um, seeing how people do this. And right. again, 
when I got in the rehearsal hall for the first couple of years, I never thought about being a director. I didn't go, oh, now I want to be a director. I was like, oh, I just want to. This is beautiful how they use language. I, this is beautiful how she directs. This mm-hmm. is beautiful how he moves people on the stage. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, years later, a couple of years later, you, when you first start directing, you're like, oh, well, then I'll listen. This is how you listen. Mm-hmm. With Lillian, it was so fun because when I was assistant director for Weinstein, it's a really tough job because she whispers notes to you, mm-hmm. and she whispers notes like we're talking. Just yeah. at the speed of we're talking. Right. Yeah. You can imagine trying to take every note down as we talk. Oh, it's very, 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 yeah, mm-hmm. very But tough. my ear, after I did that, mm-hmm. and after I did that for the weeks and weeks of rehearsal, I could actually start occasionally anticipating your note. Like, yeah. And so I start writing the note, and then she'd give it to me because I could hear what the actor was doing. I got right. used to her. So mm-hmm. that was that was a great thing. And, and it's one of the great things. I mean, I, we've had, we both, Norman and I, have had education in school as far as theater. But a lot of what I learned really was just being in productions, just, you know, being mm-hmm. like a stage manager. Like, I was a stage manager because I needed rent money. You know, I had to blow my rent money. I told the story a while back. Mm-hmm. I was uh, in NYU my second year, and I played this three-card money at 42nd Street and Broadway mm-hmm. and lost my entire paycheck. Mm-hmm. And I needed to pay rent. And so I just picked up a village voice, and I think my first stage managing job, my first at job theater in theater was uh, Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. But... That built up my stage managing um, uh, portfolio and just learning how, both learning good things and also bad things. Mm-hmm. You know, learning bad di- from bad directors, right. bad actors, good right. directors, good actors, and it, it varies. So that's another fantastic way of, of learning. And um, we, you had mentioned. Can I uh, say something real no, quick? Go, go for it, please. It's just funny because you're saying you learn from bad actors or bad. Dra- and I just right. want to bring. I just want to go back to baseball for a second. Of course. Because we're baseball fans here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of times people put down major leaguers. Oh, they don't play the right way, or they don't have the fundamentals. But they actually most of the time do. Right. But what I loved, I got to be such a baseball fan in the '90s before I got into theater. I would go to a lot of minor league games. Mm-hmm. I totally enjoyed. And there's tons of minor league teams in California. There's a Central Valley League. There's Triple A teams. And I, and again, being alone a lot of times to just be an observer, mm-hmm. I think, you know, observing everything. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times I learned more from the bad baseball playing in the minors. Sure. Because you would say, oh, in the majors, they hit the ball to outfielder. The outfielder yeah. runs over, catches the ball. You're like, yeah. what's the big deal? I mean, yeah, he has to be set speed. Mm-hmm. The minors, they hit the ball. The guy turns the wrong way. He doesn't get his body out of the way. Mm-hmm. You know, he misses it. Right. And it, it just was, and I think in theater sometimes you're like, oh, okay. Now I see how that looks really clumpy. Right. Or I see right. how, like, mm-hmm. you know, that is not dynamic in any way or something. And that's, that can be another function of, I'm not going to say community theater, but, you know, theater, which is not quite of the level of professional theater, to work out your kinks, to get out your bad habits. And well, I think it also gives you permission. I mean, right. I know I've done it where I work hard. I read the script. I try to understand what's going on. I think I know my cast and my my, you know, the uh, venue that we're in, the space, mm-hmm. the set, and all that stuff. And then when we try to put the pieces together and it doesn't work, I'm like, oh. Now, I could fight that and try to make it work, or I can stop and go, okay, that was wrong. <laughs> and now let me try to make it, let me try to adjust based on what we have and what does seem to be ma- possible, what, man- what I can manage to put together. And I think... I didn't walk into directing like I'm going to be a director and do that. I spent a lot of time watching and helping and assisting. And then suddenly <coughs> I was like, wow, I I know how to make this work. And so I want to give it a shot. But what 
part of that was learning was when people make those big mistakes and then they make the adjustment and the show ends up great. Yeah. That's part of the process. Yep. Be willing to make the mistake. Don't don't be so scared of making a mistake that you don't actually make a choice or get something done. Try to get something done mm-hmm. and then go back and adjust it. Yep, and from an actor's perspective, I've never directed before. Every going back to the baseball um, analogy, every night that I go on, obviously there's something different going on. Like mm. I feel different. Um, the environment's different. The audience is different. You know, what I'm getting from my uh, my actors, actresses who I'm working with mm. is different. And a lot of times I have objective as to, okay, this is the beat that I want or this is how I feel or this is so what I'm looking for to get out of the stage. Sometimes I get it. Sometimes I don't. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, well, okay, last night wasn't that great. And, you know, with baseball, because you play it, I think there's like 182 games. Wow. 162. 162, yeah. You know, I'm thinking, and that was basketball. 162. But you play, like, almost every day or every other day. I mean, imagine imagine doing the Fantastics, where I think that was, like, the longest-running show in all of theater history. Right. Um, You know you're not going to have a great night every single night. You're just going to do the best that you can. Right. And you don't beat yourself up if you had a bad night. Let's say you dropped the line or whatever. You also recognize that that good night. I, I love comparing it to bowling. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know other sports. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I did everything right, and the ball went down there and smacked. I got a strike, or I picked up a spare intentionally. I made that happen. Mm-hmm. Next time I get up, if I just try to repeat what I did before, and you know, and just oh, if I just try to do what I did before, it's not, it doesn't work. My ball suddenly a gutter ball, or mm-hmm. I knocked you know three pins down, and. To know, okay, I did really well. I'm going to let that go and try to get back to that neutral space Mm -hmm. and come at it again. And maybe I'll find that same magic that I found. I find that's exciting. It's great when you know that you've got too much energy in a performance and you're trying to do what you can to manage it, but you've got it. And then the next night you have no energy. You still got to do the performance. Right. That's exactly right. And you bring it to life. And can you not worry about what you did last night? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Not not to beat yourself up as to, damn it, I didn't get it or whatever. That happens. And that happens in life. And if, li- if, if theater imitates life, mm-hmm. then just accept that, you know, that's part of life and you go. I am, I'm sure as, you know, as a director, you know, especially communicating with actors, like um, here's a question for you, Robert. Because I know that you deal with, let's say, actors from different walks of life and, and what have you. How has it been communicating with actors? I mean, is it sort of touch and go? Have you had some good experience, bad experiences with um, trying to get, convey your – You don't have to your, name names. Your vision. No, <laughs> no. I mean, I think one thing I love about directing is I feel that uh, luckily you can do it when you're 58. It's not something mm-hmm. that what you can do it your whole life. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes I apply for things or directing labs, and I say, hey, you know, I, I know I'm 58, but I'm going to direct till I'm 100, so just – Mm-hmm. I'm an emerging director. I mean, that question is so big, but uh, I mean, I, I would love to be better because that's such an important thing to communicate. So I, I try to learn as I go. Yeah. I but try I to stay open. I mean, I think the difficult part to me is, like Norm was saying, let's try something different or this isn't, you know, you might know something's not quite working, but it's not like you want to go, well, you're not working or that's, you know, right. mm-hmm. it's more like, okay, let's try this other. I mean, it's communicating something 
in a, in a new way or trying to use their energy or trying to be open there. It's always a thing you want to be really open to actors, but at the same time, somehow it has, has to have a cohesion. So communication is just, I mean, it's what I work on every day. Yeah. And, and it really should be a two-way street between the actor well, and a the A collaboration. Director. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that I'm taking advantage of what you can do and not just getting frustrated with what you can't do. Oh, I right. hate, I mean, but I, the thing to me is like, I don't know if this is the right way to phrase it, but in one way, I don't care what you can't do. I mean, like you'll be, oh, I can't do this. I don't, uh, just show me what you can do. I mean, just right. do what you can do and we'll, we'll go from there. I mean, I don't see what the point is of like, you can't do something. It's, it, and Lillian, you know, my first director, Lillian Grogan, and mm -hmm. one thing she said, and maybe people disagree with she said, you know, you can't turn a fork into like a truck or something. Right. I mean, actors have what they have. Mm -hmm. They can they can expand, they can find new things, they can create things, but mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, y you know, you have to respect kind of Well, I think what that's what, what I learned. I think coming out of school, my sense was you should understand the play and you should have this concept as a director and you should come in and realize that. And what I've come to learn is Sometimes I've got ideas in my head, and the actors or the venue or whatever is not fitting with that idea that was in my head. If I don't let go of that idea that I came in the door with and deal with what's in front of me, yeah. I'm doomed. No, one of my favorite quotes is Dwight D. Eisenhower for a theater. Mm. And uh, planning is essential. Plans are worthless. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, right. you come in, you can have all this planning, and I think it's really important to read the play a million times, right. read the supporting material, read other work by the playwright, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. come up with some images, whatever. But, and, and Tender Napalm, I mean, I mean, we have to start somewhere, and I had to give a sort of like a context for how we begin the play. Mm -hmm. But this play, you have, it could be set in so many different places. I mean, it's a man and woman, mm -hmm. they're telling incredible stories. You don't know where they are. Mm -hmm. You don't know if they're alive or they're dead. Right. And so, and and for me, and this goes back to old times. The first Harold Pinter play I did. You know, when I, w you can't help but know because Pinter's such a big force in theater that you'd hear, right. oh, mm -hmm. well, this this production said it like they're in purgatory. Right. And this production made it all sure. black and white. Yeah. Yeah. And right. I'm like, but I don't even want to. I mean, to me, I think you're you're impeding on the audience. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to tell you exactly where this play is happening. I mean. I want to present the moment, the tension, what the characters want at that moment. Mm. And you as audience, if you come to me as audience and say, wow, I think that I think they were in purgatory. I'm like, fantastic. Tell me why. You know? That's right. You, it, it, you don't have to give the audience all the answers, right? Well, I learned that. I love to pick description for that. And I called it, I still call it, the popcorn response from the audience. You're sitting next to somebody. They're responding to something. They're laughing or they're going, <gasps> or whatever. And you're going, what, what? I didn't see that. And then you're having a reaction to something. I find myself chuckling or going, oh, man. And I can feel myself getting hot and upset about something. And the person next to me feels me having that reaction, but they don't know why. And I'm like, that's brilliant. Allow the audience to just have their response. And then because I knew people in the show, I started going out afterwards and talking to them. And it was great to talk to the actors and say, that moment when this happened, like in your brain, you put it together. You know what happened. And the actor says, what moment was that? And you're like, the moment. The moment when you guys got up and everybody was standing up and there was one guy sitting down. Oh, and wait a minute. What did you say it was again? He would say, and I would be like, it was this. It was this moment I've interpreted it. And he'd just sit there and go, oh, oh, okay. Hmm, I, I, I see that. And from the interaction, I'd realize, wait a minute. I have no idea. You clearly are not sitting there going, yes, you got it. 
whatever you were doing on stage is what you're committed to. And it created a moment. It created a gorgeous moment. My interpretation of it is my interpretation. Exactly. I love giving an audience that. I hope the audience has different. I hope. I, I, I mean, I hope the audience has each person has their own individual. Yeah. Well, that's why I say popcorn. You know, yeah. one one kernel pops over here, the next one may mm-hmm. not pop, or it'll pop a little later. And those are wonderful moments, especially for an actor, when an audience says, oh, wow, I love that moment when this and that. And I'm like, hmm, I had no idea that that was the thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and sometimes the director knows, but sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. I want to touch on, because um, I know we should get to shout-outs soon, but um, – Part of my reunion was, like, I have a group of friends. We've gone to every 10-year reunion together. Mm-hmm. So we get together the night before, and that was kind of nice. It was sweet. Yeah. And then we go to the official event. And most years, until this year, we've had an after party. And our after party has always been, like, people actually came up to me this last time to talk to me about it. We didn't have an after party. Everybody kind of, you know, we're older, and people just kind of went their own ways mm-hmm. all in the night. Mm. The next day, um, people had gotten in touch with one of my alums. She's a couple of years behind me in school. She has taken over that theater department at the high school. And she is doing honor. Chris Carson, well, Chris uh, Elhi now is her. She married another. And that's the thing. She married another guy from the school. Uh-huh, yeah. um, but she runs this theater department. She hosted a party. So we had years. I graduated in 77. There were two old ladies there, older ladies. One was 70, you know, graduated in 1970. One graduated in 1971. Wow. And it was funny because they were the oldest folks there, and every time they opened their mouths about their experiences, we'd go, when did you graduate? And they'd (laughs) tell us, and the conversation would just sort of skid to a halt. But their experiences were similar. My teacher, Don Fricke, had, you know, it was wonderful to be in a room full of people and look at them. There's a guy who's a major film composer. Hmm. He's there. Um, there's another guy we talked about. He didn't actually come, but he is um, a major performer in the opera world. Um, you know, there are all these different people. This woman has become a teacher, but she's really taken it like she just built a brand new theater. They tore down the old, tore down the old theater, built a new theater. And it was so exciting to go, wow, this uh, one woman runs the facilities. She's the facilities manager at UCLA. Mm-hmm. It was exciting, and we were all happy to see each other and to catch up and find out what we were doing. But I was like, wow, this – and I'm sorry, the teacher, the actual theater teacher didn't come. He's still alive. He didn't come. Mm -hmm. And I was sorry for that because I was like, dude, you know, we do what we do because of you. Yep. And it was was just that – I loved everything else that I did in the reunion, but that moment was just – sweet to be able to hang with these people mm-hmm. the choir director came out and at one point at one point the composer the choir director this woman who got out of claremont out of high school and within a couple of years was being asked to choreograph stuff and is still choreographing so i remember her she graduated a couple of years before me i remember her because she choreographed one of our shows wow and to hear that she's been doing that her whole life that is really exciting. wonderful that because some people take reunions very seriously, and, and a lot of folks don't. And not only – it sounds like not only were your class together, but other classes came to your reunion, and teachers came to your right. reunion as well. That's fantastic. I mean – It was pretty sweet. Yeah. I mean, I'm 
this would be my 30th anniversary for our class, and mm -hmm. uh, we, we decided we're going to do it, do something next year. Okay. But every time I go back, I have several, I have several um, classmates who are still at Duke Ellington School of the Arts now as teachers. Right. So they're sort of passing the torch on to yeah. the next generation. So that's that's just wonderful. Shout outs. Yeah, it definitely fits into that world that mm -hmm. we that we talked about. You know, that theater should be have a sense of community, and really what that means is that we run our lives so that we feel that sense of connection. Yeah. Uh, my shout out is for my uh, my voice teacher, Eliza O'Malley, is doing the console. Um, it's and it's funny. She references I got to do Capoletti e Montecchi with uh -huh. her. She actually got me on stage and got me singing opera. Wow. It scared the crap out of me. <laughs> but uh, they're going to be this uh, weekend. Uh, now I can't find it. It's uh, the 14th. Where is it? July 14th, next yeah. week? Yeah. Okay. There it is. Um, so, yeah, that's going on. Um, I, myself, I've got uh, Eugene O'Neill mm -hmm. coming up. So I'll be at the Dow House, and I'll be teaching. I'll be leading this whole program mm -hmm. with uh, playwrights and young actors and putting together a show, mm -hmm. uh, shows, a series of shows. In 10 days, we're going to put it all together. Um, yeah, she's uh, Friday, July 14th at 7 o'clock, and Sunday, July 16th at 2 p.m. at the Berkeley Hillside Club. Nice. On Cedar Street. Um, yeah, so that's coming up. Um, and it's funny because she wanted to do it because it's, um, it's an opera that deals with immigrate, immigration and immigrants. Ah. So they thought like they felt like it would be really timely. Yeah, yeah. That and it's the Berkeley, where's their name? Berkeley Chamber Opera is the ones that are doing it. I, mean, I think I definitely may want to go there since I've got another podcast dealing with uh, immigrants as well. Mm. Um, and you, you are you, can we talk about Shakespeare? <gasps> I got Hamlet. That's right. Yes, See? I, I'm going to be playing Polonius <laughs> in November, so we'll we'll spend a lot of time talking about this. Exactly. More more. I, I just wanted to make sure that I, we could talk about that because I well, think it's you funny. were. <laughs> I was teaching today and yeah. teaching a Shakespeare class, and I actually wanted to bring in my sides mm -hmm. and talk about how I worked on it because I think I talked about it last time we did a podcast. Um, I worked on getting familiar with the lines, and I mm -hmm. felt like I really understood the That's structure. That's right. We were talking about you. you were and I did in front Polonius, of my yeah. wife, and she said, it sounds like elocution. And I went, okay. <laughs> so I had to go back and really kind of rip it up some more and mm -hmm. find the life in it. And I guess I must have done pretty good because I'll be playing hey. Polonius. I'll be playing somebody in the grave digger scene. Uh-huh. And uh, oh, that's right. And when we were doing it, I wasn't supposed to talk about it. Last exactly. Time. That's why I was. Now it's official. Now it's official, and it's out there. So. Well, Mara, if you're listening, fantastic job. You you know your husband has has a role, and he has you to thank. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my shout out. Speaking of Shakespeare, a good friend of mine, Radhika Rao, is. Um, I'm not sure if she's Rhodes and Plants or Gilded Sir, but she's also doing Shakespeare. She's oh. also doing Hamlet. At the She's Free Shakespeare in the Park. San Francisco. San Francisco Shakespeare Well, Festival. they go all over the Bay Area. But right, yeah. exactly. I believe they are now at the Amador Valley Community Park. That's mm. on uh, July the 8th, which is tomorrow. Uh, is that right? Yeah, tomorrow. The 9th, the 15th, and the 16th. So you have this weekend and next weekend. That's it. Oh, the show's almost done? Yeah, the show's almost done. Oh, wow. Um, go to www.sfshakes.org slash events slash 62. Well, I'll put in a link. So you can just click on the link oh, and great. you'll be able to do that. Nathaniel, who is playing Hamlet, uh -huh. will be playing my son. He'll be playing Laertes wow. in the production of Hamlet. I just got cast in. Fantastic. It's See there? It's a small <laughs> world. Circular world. Um, I also want to push um, 
There's a play um, by Conrad Panganaban. Actually, he's one of four playwrights. It's sort of a collaboration. A Life on the Ocean Wave. That's at the Exit Theater, which is 156 Eddy Street. That's from July the 6th, which was yesterday, uh, to the 22nd. Uh, www.oceanwave.b, as in boy, p as in Peter, t, dot me. It's a combination of song, poetry, storytelling, and theater. This anthology of original works by four local playwrights, Nancy Au, A-U, Nara Dalbaka, I hope I said that right. You were, and you were testing yourself <laughs> on these no, names. Wow. And Conrad Panganiban, under the leadership of head writer Carson Becker. Uh, they are developed from pieces that premiered at the San Francisco Olympians Festival and is directed oh. by festival creator and exit theater resident artist Stuart, Stuart Bosel. Yeah. See that? See, Norman, you know everybody. <laughs> uh, we were on a panel uh-huh. at, the, at the Play Cafe, actually. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. that's how we met, and it was so funny. We got into a major debate about uh, equity. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, as you say, major debate. I wonder if it was, was it? It was funny was because, no, we were, we, we were cordial. Mm-hmm. We were totally on opposite sides of the, of the, uh, of the issue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yet we were able to have a, reason, a reasonable enough conversation that I'm always curious to hear what he's doing next. Awesome. And speaking of Play Cafe, I just – I'm – I uh, – <laughs> so I wrote I a play called Four Men in Paris, and uh, the Play Cafe, uh, they have these monthly table reads, and they have – it's very, very competitive – and they've selected my play, Four Men in Paris, to be presented at the Play Cafe. That'll be on Monday, uh, July the 24th, um, at the LSI Language Studios International Building. That's t- 2015 Center Street in Berkeley. Oh, uh, from be seven soon. to ten. Great. So I'm very excited about that. I found I found out the news yesterday, and uh, very elated. And I was also put on. I was told, no, don't tell anybody. And I was like, hey, can I tell somebody now? It's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So yeah, finally, yeah. so that's awesome. Robert, talk about your show. Again, Give us the details. Again, it's um, yes. Tender Napalm by Philip Ridley, and it opens July 14th, a week from tonight. But um, it runs Friday, Saturday, 8 p.m. through August 5th at Timothal Art Center, 511 48th Street in Oakland. Our website, www.antonswell, A-N-T-O-N-S-W-E-L-L.org. And the tickets are only $20 each. It's in highly dynamic, physical, I mean, Amazing choreography throughout. The two actors are amazing because they have to. It's an athletic event. There's so much mm-hmm. physicality. Who are the, who are the actors? Unless oh yes, please. So, I'm so sorry, but um, Anastasia Barron okay. and Willem Long, and just super intense physicality. But on top of that, there is a Shakespearean amount, a the Hamlet language. Shakespearean amount of language, mm-hmm. and a language that goes everywhere from s- actually pornographic to the most mythical and the most poetic um, so it runs the whole range um, and it's going to be a great show and it's going to be and it's a Bay Area premiere which I'm I am a little bit proud that our little company mm-hmm. can bring Philip Ridley to the Bay Area yeah. and this play for the first time and that is fantastic and that is um, Tinder Palm Tinder Napalm and uh, check out Anton's and we'll put we'll put a, a little link Antonswell.org Yep. Yeah. Thank All right. you. 
Could I say one thing at the very, very end? Just sure. going back to the beginning. Of course, of course. There was a nice conversation at the very beginning, and they said, and you were saying, well, there's these theater companies, and they lose a little bit of energy, and then yeah. And I loved EastEnders when they were here, and other. Did companies. you actually see some EastEnders? Yeah. Shows? yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I, I was went to a lot of theater before I got in theater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, at Anton's Bell, we started this company, but I don't, I won't ever judge the company on how long it lives or if right. it just happens to stay alive on you know in the ICU of theater companies or mm-hmm. yeah. but I, I I every time we do a production I feel like we're we're doing we're building the well we're providing some fresh water we're doing our bit yeah and I'll be happy for as long as it goes and we'll mm-hmm. see what happens yeah and I don't think that you know for theater the, you know theaters can fail or succeed for different varying reasons I, and I it's think never success uh, is often what kills the small companies <laughs> Yeah, they do so well that the people. I remember there were uh, three Asian American actors. They put together a company. I can never remember it. They were the name was some riff on re. You know, they were using their re that um, that prefix mm-hmm. um, to change some of the reorient or something. Reorient, that reorient. was a company. Hmm? Reorient was a company. Uh, and they did uh, Texas. It was this gorgeous play about three Asian Americans. In Texas. Oh, wow. I mean, it was a little like, um, what's the play? Um, not Private Wars. Um, Lone Star. Mm-hmm. It was like an Asian-American version of Lone Star. It nice. was really fun. It was exciting. As soon as they closed, two of the actors moved to L.A. Wow. Yeah. So we'll they started this company, had a yeah. huge splash with it, and then two of them left. Look <laughs> what just happened a few days ago. I mean, the Eureka Theater went out of business. But and yeah, thank that, you that for bringing that, that up. All, yeah. all they did was create Angels in America. So right. It pains me. I've, I've been on a Eureka Theater many, many times. Uh, right. EastEnders, we, that used to be our well, that space house. When they moved into that space. Yeah. But all the stuff that came before that, they were this crea- – and Oscar yeah. Eustace yeah. was one of the artistic directors at one point. I mean, they were mm-hmm. they were a powerhouse. Yeah. And so 42nd Street Moon, you know, 42nd Street Moon, they also used it. They still will. They're taking it over, I think. Oh, for, okay. That's what's going on. Got They're it. taking over the space. Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, the folks that were running Eureka said enough. But people say that. You know, things yeah. are born and they live and they die. And, yes, you take that moment to go, oh, gosh, we won't see any more from you. But you also got to acknowledge, wow, y'all actually accomplished something. Hey, you, you made the art form a great thing. I mean, yeah, you that's know. exactly right. There's one last thing I want to touch on before we uh, leave. Mm-hmm. Um, did you want to talk about the uh, the two uh, actors from Hawaii Five O who uh, they were Asian actors and they there was a I guess a pay discrepancy mm-hmm. a pay discrepancy basically right. they weren't they're not being paid the same as the I guess their white counterparts. I you know what let's save it for next time because yes tomorrow is actually a discussion mm-hmm. of exactly that here. Um, here, I think it's in Berkeley. Yeah, it is in Berkeley. I just got the date. I just wrote the date down. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go to that. Okay. And I will come back and report oh, sure. about how that goes because that's a huge issue. I'd hate to try to squeeze it in. Oh, of course, of course. I just uh, promised some folks. But, yeah, you know, no, no, no problem. Where, where is it being debated at? Um, it's actually – it was going to be in a space, and now it's going to be in somebody's home. Okay. Um, but there are a number – and it was on Facebook. I, I, they had some weird symposium kind of name to it. Yeah, um, it, it sort of exploded on Facebook. I mean, I've seen a lot of posts well, about it. Well, it's been great, and I feel like the homework I'm going to have to do is to figure out how to not upset white folks <laughs> when I go in <laughs> to talk about this because – um, you know, I mean, we talk about Hillary every now and then, and it always comes up. People are like, this is so horrible. If we had Hillary, everybody would be better off. And I'm like, I'm sorry, black man here. 
point out to me how I'm worse off now than I was under Obama. There's a lot of people that are worse off. I'm not worse off because I was already bad. And talk to me about how tangibly it was going to be better for me. You know, people have this inability to see what somebody else's perspective is. Yeah. And if you want to have a dialogue about it, you can't get all righteous and get on your high horse. you got to go, okay, well, wait a minute. L- let me understand what you're talking about. Now, right. all men are created equal. That's what the country was founded on, right? Now, you, you do know my skin is brown, right? Mm-hmm. You know what was happening to people like me back then. See that woman over there? You know what was happening to her back then? So all men were created equal? Is that, is that, is that your final statement on that? Oh, we can talk about this. Great. Let's have a discussion. So that's what's going to happen tomorrow. Fantastic. Hey, that's right, and that's what an open discussion. Don't ask, don't ask for someone's opinion if you're going to be offended, and it's like, no, 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 you can't have that opinion. I mean, you know, be open right. to accept to hearing an opinion that you may not agree with. And, that's and, what a dialogue's and really all about. pull it apart to say, let me see if I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Is this what you mean? Yeah. Okay, well, maybe, maybe now we can have a dialogue. Yeah. Robert, thank you so much for coming on. I hope you enjoyed yourself. It was, it was a great pleasure. Fantastic. Okay, folks. Um, we got to find a better sign-off. sign-off. Ah, and we are out. <laughs>